This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. First time I heard his name whispered in my family, I was around nine. When I was 11, I first heard the shout music coming from down the block. At 13, I first tasted the church's legendary food. At 19, I first saw a photo of Daddy Grace standing in front of his Packard in an elegant white suit with attendants by his side. It felt like I knew him and that he knew me. All people raise your hand and say amen. 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 All God's children, clap your glad hands. This is a story of a man who's fascinated me. I'm tempted to say haunted me for most of my life. His name was Sweet Daddy Grace, and that's a name you don't forget. They say he sold plots into heaven. They say he wore suits made of $100 bills. They say he was God himself. There are a lot of legends around Daddy Grace, but let me tell you some facts. Daddy Grace was born Marcelino Manuel de Grasa in the early 1880s on the island of Brava, Cabo Verde, West Africa, which at the time was a Portuguese colony. He arrived in New Bedford, Massachusetts at the turn of the 20th century, along with a wave of Cape Verdean migrants who crossed the Atlantic Ocean on whaling ships headed for the Americas. As the Cape Verdean immigrants were fleeing this land of hunger, They saw opportunity to make their way to maybe improve their lives. Daddy Grace had $7 in his pocket when he immigrated. After he arrived, he began calling himself Charles Manuel Grace. Not unusual for an immigrant in America, Americanizing your name or having it Americanized for you. Within a couple of decades after arriving in the United States, he was going by more names. Bishop Grace, Daddy Grace, or Sweet Daddy Grace. And that last name was given to him by his followers. 
Yes, followers. The man had thousands of them. Some say as many as three million. Because in 1919, Bishop Grace founded a church, the United House of Prayer for All People. He built the first one in West Wareham, Massachusetts for under $40. From there, he took his evangelical mission on the road, venturing below the Mason-Dixon line and beyond, setting up tent meetings and baptizing people in oceans and rivers and defiantly preaching to captivated and non-segregated audiences. We must get ready and go down to the river and be baptized in the river as it went down in the river Jordan in the name of the Lord Jesus. He was colorful, opulent, and unapologetic, and his personal style influenced Black cultural and spiritual leaders, including James Brown. He was a visionary who built a fortune as a Black man during Jim Crow, during the Depression. He bought a huge complex in Manhattan that didn't rent to Negroes. He had a coffee farm in Brazil, an egg farm in Cuba. He was also controversial. He was often in the press for one scandal or another, illegitimate children, tax fraud, and he narrowly avoided serving a year in prison for allegedly transporting a woman across state lines for, quote, immoral purposes. By the time he passed in 1960, his net worth was estimated to be as much as $25 million, which is $250 million today. His body traveled by train from California to Massachusetts, and it was more like a final tour than a processional, making several stops along the way, attracting thousands of mourners and gawkers. But today, outside of his church, which is still around, not very many people seem to know about him, or at least talk about him. Why is that? Why would a man who was said to have raised his own sister from the dead, who had obituaries in Ebony and the New York Times, whose buildings housed thousands of people, who started out with so little and ended with so much, why do so few people today remember that very memorable name? Erased, sort of wiped out. And I wonder if this was done intentionally. Mm -hmm. That's a way of silencing and making sure that someone's legacy is not carried on. And there's one more piece of the puzzle, a big one for me. My grandmother's a Grace, a Cape Verdean Grace. Her family is also from the same island of Brava. I grew up overhearing my cousins say that we were related to Daddy Grace. But here's where things get murky. Every time I asked the elder members of my family, they denied it, often vehemently. The more I learned about Bishop Grace and all of his exceptional accomplishments, the more bewildered I was that this man who I shared roots with had been completely left out of the history books that I grew up reading. There are no public plaques or monuments to him in his native Cabo Verde, nor in his home of New Bedford, Massachusetts, except for the one that he paid for himself. How could a man who was beloved by so many, who fed people food for their souls and their bellies, also be so despised that people didn't even want to admit that they were related to him? And what about the air of mystery that Daddy Grace seemed to cultivate around himself? Why? Was he hiding something? What was behind my relative's rejection of him? 
This is a story about Sweet Daddy Grace. But for me, it's personal. I'm Marcy DePina, and from iHeart Podcasts and Forza Media Group, this is Sweet Daddy Grace. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's go back a bit. Let me take you to the Cape Verdean community of New Bedford, Massachusetts, where I grew up. New Bedford is a place where Cape Verdeans have made their mark, and everyone in the city is proud of that. You can eat foods like couscous, cachupa, and jag, and hear Criollo spoken everywhere. And you have to make sure that you don't do anything regretful in public, because before you even reach home, someone's already called your mother. Growing up dating, you have to ask any potential mate of all of their last names, just to make sure that they're not your cousin. And the parade that happens on Independence Weekend? It's not your typical 4th of July affair. It's actually the Cape Verdean Independence Day Parade, which is celebrated on July 5th. Throughout my upbringing, we learned about revolutionaries who called New Bedford their home. People like Frederick Douglass and Jabril Kazan of the Greensboro Four. Bishop Grace, not so much. Good morning, Marcy, as well as good morning, cuz. This is my older cousin, Jonathan. He grew up a few towns over, and we spent a lot of time together as children. I lived in the heart of New Bedford's Cape Verdean community and its Black Power movement. Around the corner from my house was the NAACP and the former local headquarters of the Black Panther Party. The House of Prayer was part of this, nestled in between the two of them. At the time, though, I didn't know it was Daddy Grace's church. What was your first, like, really good memory of that? When we first moved there and, like, hearing the music all the time and and being like, what is that? I mean, it was clearly church music. It was definitely gospel. It was definitely, you know, lots of loud horns. They really turned it up over there, huh? They really did. But my first actual, like, interaction with the church was going there. But my friends invited me to come and eat soul food. They had soul food there on Saturdays. Fried chicken and fish and collard greens and mac and cheese and cornbread. chicken food. I always thought of it as being an African-American church because they served soul food. Everybody that I encountered when I went to the church to eat was not Cape Verdean, at least that I knew of. It wasn't until I was about 13 when I overheard my parents and some of their friends who had attended services at the United House of Prayer going on and on about their experience. That's when I started to put it all together. Of course, I'd eaten there a bunch of times. A lot of people did. But I had never even heard of anyone actually going to a service. It was considered off limits, and I really didn't know why. 
they were talking about how long the church services were and how everyone cried and shouted, sweet Daddy Grace, even though Daddy Grace had died decades ago. As I eavesdropped on their conversation, they traded wild stories that they'd heard about Bishop Grace, like how he healed people instantly with his hands, and that he had a style of a pimp, complete with a cane, long hair, flashy suits, and even a fleet of luxury vehicles. They also mentioned that he was Cape Verdean. That was a complete shock. Daddy Grace is Cape Verdean? How did I not know this? And then I started thinking about his name and how his last name was the same as my grandmother's. And I was like, wait a minute, we're a small community. We have to be related. And that's when the spirit of sweet Daddy Grace really began to reveal himself to me. You've met my cousin Jonathan already, but let me introduce you to another important Jonathan in my life. I'm Jonathan Tipina. I'm Marcy's dad. My parents are Jonathan Depina Sr. and Lydia Grace Depina. And both of them are in the heavens, but very much with us all the time. My grandparents belong to the religiously conservative Evangelical Church of the Nazarene. My grandmother, I called her Nana, was born Lydia Anna Grace. She was always cooking on the phone, talking in Creole, working in the garden, and gathering items along with money to send to people back in the old country. Both she and my papa were devout Christians, and like most Cape Verdeans, they were upright folks who often spoke about the importance of reputation and honoring your family name, which meant that my father's dad, my papa, was not a fan of a flamboyant preacher like Daddy Grace. My dad kind of looked at him as like the devil. <laughs> And I can remember him, Daddy Grace would be on TV and he'd say, look at that guy with that money suit. It wasn't just the money suits. It was his fingernails, which were over three inches long. It was the loud shout music and dancing, which seemed like possession. And it was the long list of products sold by the United House of Prayer that promised to heal you and also make your hair grow long and pretty, just like Daddy Grace's. You know how my father was. When he was critical of something, he let you know. And he was so critical of him. But he never said anything in public about him that I know of. I mean, my dad wasn't that type of person anyway to go spouting off his mouth in public. But within our family, he made it very clear that this guy was not welcome. My dad's older sister, my Aunt Judy, also remembers her father talking about Daddy Grace especially when he would arrive in Massachusetts after his various travels on the road preaching. And when he did come to New Bedford, there was a big to-do. Oh my, you know, Daddy Grace is in town. He's coming to town. And I remember my father saying, oh yeah, they were laying out the red carpet for Daddy Grace. And they said that he had little girls dressed in white that would be fanning him as he sat on the porch. I can just imagine, I'm like, oh my mama. My mother denied that they were related. Nobody wanted to be because the man was out there. He was a cult. This is something I've heard before. I once asked my great-uncle Abel if Daddy Grace was part of the family, and he said, absolutely not. We have nothing to do with that man. 
There were rumors and even some allegations that might suggest that Daddy Grace had less than pure intentions with some of his congregants, especially the young women, including my very own grandmother. I talked to my cousin Jonathan about this. Do you know anything about Daddy Grace trying to get Nana to join his congregation and any interaction with our great-grandfather? Our great-grandfather was not too happy about that. (laughs) What I was told is that being that our great-grandfather didn't want her to go, that he was um, really stern, so to speak, almost to the point of being very physical about it. Jonathan said he'd heard this story from a couple of people, including my Uncle Abel, who was my Nana's youngest brother. Uncle Abel would say, you know, had so many different sayings. (laughs) I don't want to twist it, but he was like, that man showed up on the farm thinking he could talk to your grandmother. My father would have no part of it. And then he would go into speaking Creole where he would say, showing him the axe and saying, you know, this is an axe. I'll sharpen it on your head. The thing was, while Daddy Grace's methods for getting people to join his congregation may have been at best unorthodox, his church, the United House of Prayer, was in many ways pretty similar to other Black Pentecostal churches at the time. That meant long sermons, lots of music, and something that didn't sit particularly well with my mainly Catholic and Nazarene relatives. Speaking in tongues. When someone speaks in tongues, it's supposed to show that they're communicating with God in God's language, which is only spoken and interpreted by those who are anointed. But a lot of Cape Verdeans, who were not members of Daddy Grace's church, said that they did understand what he was saying. One of the stories that I remember them talking about, they'd always be like, he was up there speaking Creole, and they all thought he was speaking in tongues. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that actually more than once. Um, I have heard that same exact story from several people. Who knows, right? I mean, I, we weren't there, so I didn't hear. We were never there. Yeah, we were never there. <laughs> and you know, a good story gets better as it gets. <laughs> Here's what I do know. Bishop Grace was a contentious figure. He was called a charlatan, a race denier, and a predator. Yet, he was beloved by hundreds of thousands. He built a massive flock and ensured that his legacy would live through his church. And in the 1950s, he was said to be the richest Black preacher in America. How did he do it? What was his secret? I asked my dad how he thought this could have happened. What do you make of the massive amount of success and wealth that he was able to amass during his life and, you know, to be able to be a man who immigrated from a country that was so poor and, you know, with very little resources, for him to be able to purchase luxury apartment buildings in Manhattan and, you know, 83-room mansions and have a fleet of luxury vehicles and attendants. What do you make of, of that? Donald Trump. (laughs) What? (laughs) Donald Trump. He has that power. Daddy Grace had that power that he could talk people into giving him all the money they had in hopes that they were going to heaven or they would be healed. He had 
that ability. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. It's interesting what people correlate with Daddy Grace. For my great-grandfather, it was his perceived dangerousness. For my dad, it was his way with words, his Trumpian charisma. For me, it was his audacity. And for Dr. Marilyn Halter, who is not only my stepmother— but also one of the preeminent scholars of Cape Verdean American history. It's how effortlessly he transformed from a poor immigrant into a powerful American. What struck me about his life story was the extent to which he seemed to be constantly reinventing himself. When I thought about his life history, the person who comes to mind that seems most akin to is Bob Dylan. His persona is very different than his actual history. There's virtually nothing about him at all prior to his arrival in the United States, which makes him somewhat, you know, mysterious, right? And I think he cultivated that mystery. I mean, I think that is very much a part of who Daddy Grace became and continued to become was, you know, creating mystery around himself. I think some of this mysteriousness is inherent to being Cape Verdean. One thing about us, we're like chameleons. Thanks to our history, we have so many elements to our culture, our language, and our worldview. And due to colonialism, blending in has been a mode of survival. Daddy Grace did more than survive, though. He thrived. He built an empire at a scale no Cape Verdean had achieved before or since and became one of the pioneers of what would become the modern Black megachurch. That dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for every man with opportunity for each, according to his ability or achievement. That's historian James Truslow Adams describing the American dream, a term he put into the national consciousness in 1931. Marcelino Manuel de Grasa, a.k.a. Charles Manuel Grace, a.k.a. Sweet Daddy Grace, certainly saw the possibility in those words. But I'm sure he also recognized their fallacy. He certainly experienced the struggle 
that people of color had in the United States. That for most Black people, racism could not be separated from the American dream. The American dream is an ideal that's mainly realized historically by white men who come from Anglo backgrounds, right? So I think he's just an exception in some ways to the American dream in terms of being able to forge such a successful outcome in his life as a Black immigrant or an immigrant of color. But I think Daddy Grace's Cape Verdean identity allowed him to have a different perspective. Cape Verdeans were the first voluntary African immigrants to come to the U.S., No matter how tough it may have been in America, it was still better than being in colonial Cabo Verde, where countless people died during extreme droughts and famine, unaided by the Portuguese government. Immigration offered hope. Daddy Grace probably felt like America had streets paved with gold, and those were exactly the kind of streets that he wanted to live on. And doing this podcast is just like kind of really curious what your goal is to achieve out of all of this. Is there like something that you're hoping to find or what is it that you're looking to get out of this? Well, I think the main reason why I'm doing this is because my entire life, like Daddy Grace has been there. I've always felt this strong connection to him. And then, you know, found out that he was buried right across the street from my high school. You know, went to go see the grave and I literally heard him saying, like, tell my story. And that was like a, whoa, okay, I I don't know what this is about, but all right. And I know that a lot of Cape Verdeans were very embarrassed by him, his uh, appearance, his style of delivering the word, his religion, the money really made people feel very uncomfortable. I think people had a lot of questions about whether he was a legitimate man of God or not. I really want to highlight his story because I think it's an incredible American story. I think it's an incredible Cape Verdean American story. And I really do want to know, are we really connected to this man or not? Like, is there a relation or not? In African cultures, the oral tradition is the primary way that stories get passed down. And in African spirituality, our ancestors serve as guides throughout our lives on Earth. I've been communicating with these guides for as long as I can remember, in the form of dreams, intuitions, and visions. Since childhood, I've worn a sabichi, or kontadoju, which is a Cape Verdean bead that protects you from evil spirits. I've always had the understanding that music, dance, and storytelling are ways to communicate with a higher power. It's been a long time since I encountered his photo and heard Daddy Gray say, tell my story. But he never stopped reminding me. In my 20s, there was this mansion that I drove by every single day. Recently, I discovered it once belonged to Daddy Grace. Then it was a man who I was madly in love with. He had an affair while we were together with a woman who just happened to impersonate Daddy Grace in a performance piece. It's taken years for me to find the courage to make this podcast because there are so many layers, so many unknowns, and it involves my family and my community. It's sensitive, and I feel vulnerable telling my story. But I'm ready. Not just to tell the story of one man, but of his people. 
my people. I came from the land beyond the sea is a saying that Daddy Grace used to describe his origins and journey from Cabo Verde. It's where the boy called Marcelino was from, where sweet Daddy Grace is from, where my family is from. That's next time. Sweet Daddy Grace is a production of iHeart Podcasts and Forza Media Group. This show is hosted by me, Marcy DePina. It's written and produced by Marissa Brown and me. Our story editors are Daryl Stewart, Duncan Riedel, and Zarin Burnett. Editing, sound design, and theme music by Jonathan Washington. Original music by Enrique Silva of Acacia Mayor. Show cover art by Viviana Salgado of Studio Creative Group. Fact-checking by Austin Thompson. Our executive producers are Marcy DePina and Jason English. Special thanks to Will Pearson, Nikki Itori, Ali Perry, Tamika Campbell, and Lulu Phillip of iHeartMedia, and all of my family members who talked to me for this show. My ancestors, the United House of Prayer for All People, and the countless number of people who shared their memories of Sweet Daddy Grace with me. Thanks also to Dr. Marie Dahlem and Dr. Danielle Brun-Sigler, whose academic work on Sweet Daddy Grace has been incredibly helpful. And finally, I want to thank Bishop Grace himself for choosing me to tell his story. For more information on Bishop Charles M. Grace, check out the website Sweet Daddy Grace and follow me at Marcy DePina on all social platforms. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.